Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We have been uh, in, a, in a slow walk with Jesus over these last number of months, trying to learn his way. Uh, and Jesus um, uh, is a generous teacher, but he's also a wise teacher. He knows that um, many of us, myself maybe included and especially, uh, will try and co-opt his way to accomplish my outcomes. That is that I'm willing to follow in the way of Jesus as long as the outcome that following in the way of Jesus is what I desire it to be. And so we come headlong into the brick wall of Palm Sunday where Jesus says to us and to all of his followers and to all of his enemies, don't think that you figured me out. I do not come to bless your mess. I come to invite you into my kingdom, not to bless your kingdom. That's hard for us. That's hard for me. Because there is a certain 
sense of magic. If I do the right things in the right ways, then I certainly will get the right outcomes, which clearly are what I want. Glory to God. And Jesus just says, let's be clear. If you follow me, if you follow in my way, seeking to learn my truth, wanting to discover my life on the other side of that, there's a cross in your future. There's the death of all of your dreams in your future. There's no other way. There's no other way to Resurrection Sunday except through the death of Friday. There's no other way. And his death is not simply representative, i.e., I'm glad he did that so that I don't have to. Jesus died to model for us how we are to die. So when we come to this, um, this, this, this Palm Sunday, this Sunday that we tend to want to celebrate his, 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 his wonder, we often find ourselves, I find myself kind of, kind of caught up with the fact that Jesus doesn't play by the rules. Uh, any, anybody else been disappointed by Jesus lately? Uh, if you haven't, it's either A, because you're not following him, or B, you're following the wrong one. If you follow Jesus, he will disappoint you on the way to your life. Um, so we pick up the story in Matthew. This, 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 this you know, long journey has, has kind of brought us to this apex. Uh, Jesus is, is in, uh, and he chooses this time uh, very strategically. Uh, he's heading into Passover week, which, as you know, is the kind of Jewish um, uh, celebration of independence. It's kind of like July 4th. And Memorial Day all wrapped up into one, if you will, for us uh, uh, in, in this country. It is a day uh, in which you can feel the tensions beginning to build of nationalism, uh, of the belief that, that it's time for Israel to reassert its, its position and place on the world stage and to, 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 to kick out all of these Romans and these usurpers by whatever means necessary. You can feel the... The, the build of the crowds as they make their way uh, towards Jerusalem, which swells in Passover to three, four, five times its normal size. And it is a tinderbox of independence, of longing for the resurgence, for the reassertion of the power that once uh, was Israel. So as they approached, verse 1, Matthew 21, as they approached Jerusalem, all of this going on, they came to Bethphage. On the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. You'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. All of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you. Gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large, large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him those that followed behind were shouting, Hosanna! 
to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is a, 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 a I mean, you want to talk roller coaster of a story, this, this is that, right? So we begin, they're approaching Jerusalem. He's starting to build an entourage. People have followed him from the north on their way down to Passover and Jericho. He collected a few more, and you can imagine this, this as, they, as they climb up the hill and come to this little, little, little town, Bethphage, um, right next to, to Bethany uh, on the Mount of Olives. He's sending, they, they are within sight of the city. Uh, they can see the Temple Mount, which is kind of glowing, they can see the temple in its white marble. They can see all of the symbols of, of Jewish nationalism just, just glowing, a city on a hill, uh, it, it, and, and it's just stirring all of the nationalistic tendencies, if you can possibly imagine that. And, and, and Jesus says to his disciples, go to the village uh, opposite to Bethphage, and you'll find a donkey tied there. Apparently, uh, Jesus had made arrangements uh, he's not necessarily pro prophesying a donkey's being tied there. He's made arrangements. Jesus has given thought. He's deliberately and intentionally leaning into this moment. It's critical that we understand this, that, that for Jesus, what happens is exactly what he intends to happen. Everybody else is caught off guard by it, but Jesus is following the script, if you will, that he and his Father and Spirit have agreed on to this very moment. Finds a donkey there, they, they, he has made these arrangements, he is intending, he is intentional as he moves in, he's very deliberate in what he's doing here. They find the donkey, they bring it, and, and, and Matthew lets us in on this. Remember, Matthew is looking back at this event through the lens of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. In the moment, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of confusion. Because you don't want your conquering hero entering the city to declare independence riding on a donkey. You want him riding on a Roman charger. You want him preferably riding in a chariot pulled by a great white stallion. You want the symbols of power to take it right to the throne of power and stick it in their face. That's what you want. But Matthew says, now look, this was done, in fact, to fulfill a prophecy that you all forgot about. Your king doesn't come with massive displays of power, not because he can't, but because he has learned that massive displays of power will never win the hearts of humankind. The only thing that will 
is love. And so he comes in, not on a, on a chariot pulled by a glistening white stallion. He comes in on a donkey, long ears flopping, a colt baying in behind. The, 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 the imagery is grotesque unless you understand Jesus is choosing this deliberately with intention to say to them all, this is not your kingdom that's coming. It's my kingdom that's coming. Comes in in the image of Zechariah on a beast of burden, not of warfare, not of power. A deliberate contrast to those who said, just exert your power. Just ignite the crowds. We are with you to the death. And they would have been. They would have been. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, cut branches from trees. You can hear what they're thinking almost out loud. They spread them in the road. This is called Palm Sunday because the branches that they cut were palm branches. What are they doing with these palm branches? This is not simply a sign of, 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 of interest. They are deliberately and intentionally channeling an event that took place on this very spot about 200 years ago. Some of them still perhaps carried in their pockets the coins that were minted to celebrate the arrival of Jacob Maccabeus into the city of Jerusalem on this very same road. The symbols of the Maccabean rebellion against Greece were palm branches. They carried the coins that were minted, one side of which had Jacob's face, on the other side of which had the symbols of the Maccabean rebellion, palm branches. And they are symbolizing their willingness to participate in yet another rebellion against an oppressive ruling force. You can feel what they're doing here. And listen to the language. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who is the, the if you will, this, this son of David, the great king. You can feel all of the reassertion. It's channeling George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and all of the, all of the great uh, MacArthur and all... And listen to the language. It's not, Lord, have mercy on us like Bartimaeus prayed only moments before. It's, Lord, save us, Hosanna. Save us, by which we mean what? Bring our kingdom to bear. Give us what we want and what we think we need. Use this moment, this critical moment, to, 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 to make us great again. Jesus seems not even to notice that he is writing right into the center of the cauldron, right into the center of Jewish nationalism. You can imagine the tension had he just spoken the word. Remember, he has two Men who have, part of his entourage, part of his group of disciples, who have committed themselves to insurrection, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, Judas the Dagger Man, Judas the Assassin. 
These are his disciples. All he has to do is a wink and a nod at one of the two of them, and they're off. And what does he do? He keeps riding that floppy-eared donkey with the colt braying in behind as if he doesn't know what he's doing. Everybody else was watching a different parade than the one that Jesus was leading. When they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? And you could almost hear the, the bloodlust as they say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Why would that be the identifier? Because it's from Nazareth that the Maccabeans led the revolt. It's from Nazareth that the most recent remembrance, almost 30 years ago, of rebellion against Rome was, that's where the hotbed of insurrection was. So when they say he's from Nazareth, it's as if they're identifying him as exactly the kind of Messiah, exactly the kind of ruler we need. Jesus grew up with his father making journeys a few miles up the road from Nazareth to Sephoris, the city that they built for the Roman governor after this rebellion. That road still lined as they walked it with 2,000 Roman crosses, each of which was occupied. That's the neighborhood Jesus grew up in. So when they say of him, he's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, you can almost feel the identification with the oppressed, the identification with those who are just had enough and they are ready to pounce on these Roman guards. And then Jesus does the strangest of things. Instead of turning right to go to the citadel, instead of turning right to take it to Pilate, instead of turning right to go to the Roman garrison, he turns left. And he goes to the temple. And he turns over the tables. And he says, you have turned my father's house, intended to be a house of prayer specifically for the Gentiles into a den of thieves. And then he leaves and goes out, 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 out back to Bethany and spends the night. What? What? D didn't, he, didn't he get the memo? How could he have missed it so much? How could he have missed this golden opportunity? We were all with him. We'd taken the day off work. We were ready for revolution. Apparently, revolution begins at the heart of the real problem. Israel doesn't have a Rome problem. They have a God problem. Israel's problems will not be solved by kicking Rome out and replacing Israel on the throne. We have discovered, have we not, that Israel is no better at ruling than Rome is. Israel is no better with power than Rome is. The reason we are in this mess in the first place is because when we did have a David, when we did have even the wise Solomon, look what happened. People were oppressed. People were subjugated. There was still the flirtation with other gods. 
How can we conveniently forget our own history? When we pray, let us be in charge. Oh God, take away those usurpers and put the rightful rulers in place. Us, in case you're clear, unclear. Mm, no, it's not your kingdom. I'm so sorry. You can have your kingdom. It's going down with the rest of them. Good luck with that. But you've been praying my kingdom come, not y'all's. So I'm thinking you probably should get your own donkey. You probably should get your own cross. You probably should forget pretensions of power and find ways to serve. You probably should forget assertions of right and learn to love. You probably should work on forgiveness rather than revenge if you really want your kingdom to be taken over by the only kingdom that at the end of the all kingdoms will remain. And Jesus goes into the temple and cleanses it. Judaism had become useless to partner with God to save the world. Peter tells us, by the way, if I can just turn from this historical event, I think you're all probably seeing where I'm going with this. Peter tells us that judgment does not begin at the United States Supreme Court. It does not begin in the Congress. Judgment will begin with the household of God. So why don't we just preempt that and repent now so we can actually be useful when his kingdom comes? Why in the world do we think if we get our guy elected, we're going to do better than everybody else has? Why don't we begin to understand that we're not the only ones who didn't get it when Jesus rode into town that day. Here's Paul's take on this. This is from 1 Corinthians, and it sets us up for the end of this week. Paul writes to this church who was so impressed with power, so impressed with prestige, so impressed with the symbols of greatness, as it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't come with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message, my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, we do speak a word of wisdom, a message of wisdom among the mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of the rulers of this age who, as it turns out, are going to come to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery, hidden, and that, that God has destined for our glory before time began. And here's the verse I want you to notice. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you see the chess game that God has been playing since before the beginning of time? 
You see the way he exposes his queen? You see the way he lays the life of his king down? God knows there's an after game. Nobody else playing the game seems to remember that we are built not for time, but eternity. And all of the principalities and powers, they're used to the displays of power. And let us be clear, crystal clear again, Jesus could have taken all of the principalities and powers in the first round with one hand tied behind his back. It's not that he lacked power. It's that he knew that the battle for the universe was not going to be run, won at the at, at, at the edges of the, of the power because then the, then the hearts never come along, which is the only thing at the end of the day that he wants. And you can understand then, not only the principalities and powers that didn't get it, Jewish leaders didn't get it, Pilate didn't get it, the Romans didn't get it, the disciples of Jesus didn't get it. On their way into dinner later that week, they were arguing about which of them was going to be the greatest. And I, I, you just, it's face plant time. Except that's what I worry about too. Any, any, anybody else? Which indicates that I don't get it. I, 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 I want my marriage to be happy. I don't want it to make me holy. Is that too much to ask? I want to live my singleness in a way that makes me happy. I don't want to be holy. I don't want to be like Christ. Is that too much to ask? Surely Jesus can wink and nod at this or that or the other. I live in America. We're promised happiness, at least the pursuit of it. Surely God's interested in that, isn't he? Um, no. <laughs> Not if it gets in the way of his kingdom. Not if it gets in the way of his kingdom's coming. Do, do you, see what, you see what happens when you follow in the way of Jesus? Stuff like this comes up. Because he's serious. He's serious. And he invites us because that's the concern, isn't it? At least for me, in my own, uh, uh, th this, this has been so hard this week. Because it's like everywhere I look, there's a mirror. Right? Yeah, I, can I, I can still miss this. Right? I can still miss this. I will still miss the strategy of weakness. I will still miss the power of surrender. I will still miss that at the very center of the universe, the reality is love. Because love doesn't work as fast as guilt or power or some other way. Love creates the space within which life might flourish, but it doesn't demand that life flourish. What? How can I make happen what I want to happen? That's the question of power. And the answer? You can't. God could, and he never does. If there is any force, any power, any person in the universe who'd accomplish his outcomes by 
divine fiat, it would be God. And he never does. He is not willing that any should perish, but he's not going to save you against your own will. That's really annoying. Anybody else frustrated by that? Why? Because he's not looking for robots. He's looking for sons and daughters who will take over the family business of loving the world the way he does. So as it turns out, this parade, this massive display of military might is a smokescreen for the embrace of death. You're invited to the parade. Not as an observer, but as a marcher. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Well